Hello and welcome to our latest edition of the GRC and Cybersecurity Podcast. In today's episode of the Leaders in Cyber and Risk series, we have a very special guest, Mike. So hi, Mike. Can you introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about what your company does? Hey, yeah. Uh, first, thanks for having me. My name is Mike Privet. I'm the CISO at Password Labs. We are a US-based company that does city mobility and parking all around cities and municipalities in the United States and in Canada. And been really helping people make cities more livable, more equitable through the means of payment facilitation and, and parking and uh, mobility services. Fantastic. So before we go any further, do you mind telling our listeners a little bit more about yourself, what you get up to outside of work, any interests or hobbies you've got? Yeah, absolutely. I spend a lot of my time doing research and a lot of my time doing writing outside of work. I've always been passionate about the field of cybersecurity in general. And I've also had a passion for finance and for all things, seeing the markets move in cybersecurity. It's been such an impactful field to be a part of for my career that I've just kind of truly enjoy it as a passion. So I do a lot of writing on my website. Um, I also write a weekly newsletter called Security Funded, where I track global cybersecurity funding and acquisition events around the world. And I just try to keep up to date on all the great stuff that's happening in, the, in that space. Yeah, I bet that's really helpful, I guess, in your day-to-day job. Not only like obviously keeping you on top of things, but well, I think that's the main thing, keeping you on top of stuff, but also like I guess building your network into a wider audience. Absolutely. Uh, honestly, I learn something new every single week I do this, which is actually the most fun part. I'm constantly surprised at uh, what new innovations are coming out or even what new clever marketing spins are coming out on existing things. <laughs> and I mean, it's been a true network accelerator. Like just, I, I never would have thought writing and just mailing people once a week would have improved my networking so much. But I, I mean, I've met new people. I've been on podcasts like this. I've been just expanded just from the sheer nature of doing something like that. So it's been really fun. Fantastic. So can you tell a little bit listeners about what is your role and also like a bit of an overview of how it got into your role? Was it a traditional route? How did you get into this position? Yeah, so I, I'm a, the CISO at Passport. The role is pretty unique in that I'm, I'm building out a program or in formalizing some security structures that was already in place, but was kind of done in an ad hoc manner. So most of my focus this past year has been kind of formalizing what a program is supposed to look like and how to take and highlight some of the things we've already done as a company throughout the years and then make them into real security artifacts, good stories we can tell our customers and our investors and our board, and really putting some polish around things that uh, go a bit beyond some levels of compliance. And I didn't stumble into this position uh, like I, on directly. I would say I took an interesting, I would say, side door on this. Prior to Passports, spent most of my career in financial services and insurance companies, more traditional, larger company paths. And then pre COVID, I got the bright idea to start a consulting business on the side while I had my full-time day job. Then COVID happened and I thought, well, that was cool. Uh, I guess maybe I'll pick this up later. Maybe I'll think about this uh, after this thing is done. And then much to my surprise, that business really accelerated due to COVID and up until the point where my business was then acquired by a venture capital company who I then worked for to help them stand up a security practice and a managed service business. And then one of their customers was Passport. And so that goes back to the networking and kind of meeting people in an unusual past. But that's how I came to know the people at Passport. And they said, well, hey, like we need a real program over here. Can you just come run this? 
And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? I'll give it a shot. So it's kind of what I mean by side door entrance. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I, I guess it's the usual pathway of like starting off big companies go that way. How did you find like the acquisition from a venture capitalist? Was there like a lot of due diligence and things you had to go through? Uh, yeah, and it was a really small practice. So they were really, really flexible in terms of like how I wanted it to look, how I wanted it to be presented, like what I would do once I got there. And it was really always kind of meant to be a short-term gig, like help them accelerate some things they wanted to kick off and get moving. And it was a really cool challenge for me since I had, I had not done that. Prior to starting the business, I had not done any of that stuff before. So it was a cool process. It took longer than I thought it would, but it also, looking back on it, it took a lot less time than I thought it would at the same time, considering what, what was happening. But it was a really cool experience to see that side of it as well. And then at the same time, like kind of following all these other companies in the world receiving funding, it was neat to see both sides. Fantastic. So I know you've said you work for Passport. Can you give our listeners a bit of an understanding about the size and I guess the stage the the company is at with their information security program? Yeah, so Passport's about an 11-year-old company. We have been in most of the US and Canadian cities. So they have really good saturation across North America in that front. And they have... We process credit card transactions like millions a year. So we've already been highly regulated in terms of like we have to be PCI compliant. We have to be SOC 2 compliant. We've had a strong product and engineering team build some really good architectures. And so I guess the maturity of the security program, it's always kind of been under the surface. So it's it's not just been highlighted as well as as I'm trying to make it pull out now. And it's really just comes to like formalizing what a program should look like, how it should operate, like who should own it, and like drawing, I would say, dotted lines and real lines to responsibilities and accountability for these things, and to include formal reporting to agencies and running with different auditors and it, from our customers as well. So a lot of it has been, I would say, laying a bunch of different rocks that were in a bunch of different spots in the company, and then lining them up the way they should be lined up. And then using that as the foundation and then starting to build some additional security capabilities on top of that. So Passport's probably not different than many other companies where it's a lot of blocking and tackling, but probably very similar to many other guests you've had on the podcast as well. I'm convinced that most of security is really just doing blocking and tackling or what I've affectionately called boring sec in a, in a couple blog posts. But that doesn't mean it's not important just because it's... Uh, but it's really kind of a slog sometimes to get through those initial steps and in convincing stakeholders and getting the right technology in place and mostly get the process in place. And that's been majority of the of where my focus has been at for Passport. Yeah, kind of a lot of it will be like, well, we're PCI compliant. We've got SOC 2. What more do we need? It's like, well... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, they're great foundational pieces, but that doesn't mean... That means we're compliant. It's not always the same as like, I know, like we're secure, I guess, isn't it? It's like really... How do we build on those very good foundations and make a, well, a, a much more robust security program? That's right. And like, I see that as a big piece of my job is kind of educating that, well, what else is needed? Like, what else do we really need to do here? And part of it comes down to looking at how like something like a SOC 2 is really more about the security of the company at a broad level, not like what's the security of the applications that process confidential data or credit card data. And so it doesn't quite go deep enough. And so like my job is to kind of turn that around and say like, well, there's a lot more we could do, still be compliant, tell a better story to our customers and maybe get to do some clever marketing or or some ways we can add security into our sales process because it's a basic expectation for most consumers today. Governments are no exception to that as buyers. 
probably even more so than most buyers. So that's a big piece of it. Like, how, how do we bring out more of that aspect and then give us a lot more comfort on like, okay, we've measured and managed risk. Like we're not just guessing. Yeah. There's a lot to be said, isn't there? Like of like using compliance and security as differentiator as, as more and more people. I mean, we, you see it in the news all the time with all of the things like people are becoming much more just security aware of like how important that is to them, especially with like the kind of data that you're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so pervasive in, in personal lives too, because it's no longer uh, you know a matter of if it'll affect you as a company or it's a no matter if it'll affect you as an individual, like you, it's something you need to be aware of. And most people want to help. I think that's a, that's a key piece um, that's really important about Passport. And it's, it's probably not unique, but most people there are actually are really attuned to security and privacy. They want to do the right things. They just don't often always know what that is or yeah. the moment or the situation. So that's a big piece of it too. It's like, use this path or let's talk about it this way. And that helps like establish that culture and that ongoing kind of security top of mind. So in terms of the company itself, so who do you report to? How is your team constructed? So can you give us a little bit more about like your direct reports, who you report to? Yeah, so I report to the COO, uh, which is the first for me in this kind of organization. So like I'm peers with the CTO organization, engineering teams and the like. Those are the teams I work with the most. And then our product teams as well, like the developers. So it's really like kind of a federated model. So I like the teams, the DevOps engineering teams that I work with the most, we're always kind of partnering on like, hey, I, I need to achieve this. You guys need to achieve that. How do we make both of them work? And it's a very much of a partnership thing because part of what I wanted to do when I came in was not just hire a bunch of people or buy a bunch of technology at first because I, I really wanted to see what are we dealing with? What are our real risks for our company right now? What have we agreed to with our customers and regulators or contractually? And are, are we actually doing those things? And then slowly build out like a risk picture from there. So that's the kind of uh, approach I wanted to take to, and let that information gathering session or that ongoing checks be the definer of what the, the roadmap is for people and for technology. Um, so that allows me to kind of pivot to like where we need to focus the most in these early days, and then build some foundational things on the backside of that as well. One of the questions that I always find quite, well, something I find quite interesting is, so, I mean, obviously, how do you think about like constructing your team or bringing skills in? Is is your thought to, for example, that you want everything to be in-house, do you want like a hybrid model, use contractors or, or using consulting firms? What's your approach as an organization? Yeah, I like to kind of focus on this in a few ways. One of which, like, I want to decide what I want to be good at in terms of, you know, that may, that may sound strange to say, like, what do you mean be good at from security standpoint? But it's really around what core competencies make sense to outsource or do a managed service versus what do we need to keep close to the vest and actually become very good at. So I like anything that should be automated and repeatable because we're a cloud only company. Let's find ways to use technology to supplement what might have been a team of people doing something at a larger company that's not cloud only, and they can't automate their entire workflow or their infrastructure. Let's then use you know, managed services to help pull out threats on the 24 by 7 nature. It's like, I, I don't want to make a SOC or a security operations center. I don't want it's incredibly hard to hire that kind of talent, and, but there's already many other companies who can do just as good of a job as me trying to build my own capability. Now, where I think we need to focus on and be become very good at is our own application security stack and like building secure applications. We're, we are a payment platform at the end of the day. 
Uh, and so there's a lot of risk and a lot of weight that comes with that. And that's where we need to really focus as much as possible on making sure that is super secure through the entire application development lifecycle. Uh, so that's where I want to focus my main efforts on a passport and then use technology or augmentation like managed services to supplement the rest and drive as much to be programmatic and verifiable with tech as opposed to relying on like self processes or um, it's trust nothing and always check it is the way I like to think about some of these things, especially on the cloud infrastructure side. So, and you don't always need people for that to get started, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people are kind of moving to that way now of like, there are certain things that just, especially with the talent <laughs> uh, challenges that everyone's having, it's like, actually, there's companies that are set up to do this kind of thing and they can like augment us at, well, let's say competitive, but it, it's better than you trying to hire talent. It's very difficult to retain. So one of the other things that I want to think about is like, as a leader, what are the regular things that you've done that you think are working in, in Passport? Uh, I think one thing that I like to do a lot is roadshows, like internal roadshows or show and tell about the program, especially like the larger the company, the kind of more you have to do that. And that can be either putting your team up in places where they can go interact with other teams or at least share what they're doing or share resources of like, this is how you contact us if you think something's suspicious. This is the process that we follow if a customer has an issue or has a question about security or privacy. And so I think one, building those processes is good, like making those routines, but then just like evangelizing it internally, almost like an internal salesperson is a super effective thing just to let the organization know that you're there, that you can help, and then that you're trying to actively help and seeking feedback from the different groups who have to deal with the parts of the business that actually make money and are revenue generating. And so trying to come in to their other staff meetings and other parts of the organization, joining customer calls, if it makes sense. I think establishing those things and being seen as like a inside out facing role that's available to the rest of the company has been really successful. And I'd like to do that at every company I've been at. And it just helps create like a, a better bridge. If nothing else helps create like some networked connections that you can use as you go on. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I bet like you feel like the outreach of like, you don't feel like a blocker. You want to be like an enabler. So they, they, they like feel like, actually you're working with us. You're trying to help us. Let, let's have a conversation. Either it's before they make a decision or during the decision-making process, they just know where to go, right? Exactly. And, and into that piece too, like uh, a piece that I've always tried to hold on all my security teams is like never make sure that we're so busy that we can't accept any people asking us questions inbound. And so if, you know, I've used different methodologies for agile team management and the like, but if you are over capacity every time and you can't bring on anyone else's work, then you're kind of only existing for yourself, which is not the point of a security role, in my opinion. The point of it is to like help and enable the organization through the ways to like securely make money. And so if you're not saving time for that, if you're not saving capacity and then inviting that kind of inbound stuff in, then like, I think you're doing a disservice to the company. So I guess let's shift in terms of like, what is the thing that you're spending the most time on at the moment? What are the critical priorities for the next six to 12 months? A lot of it is around uh, our ability to detect and respond is kind of a main key takeaway for 2022. And that has obviously a, a very large body of work underneath it. But it's really like simple things goes back to the blocking and tackling, like making sure we're logging what we should be logging, that we're 
responding to things uh, and not just letting them sit in mailboxes, like make sure that someone is accountable for looking at these things or that there is a process in place, not leaving anything unsaid in terms of, you know, what do we do uh, from a tabletop exercise? If there is an event, let's write that down. Let's go through that process. And, you know, luckily audits force some of that, which is nice because we kind of have a rolling window of, of stock two and PCI and then just customer inquiry, like inbound questions. So it, it keeps it fresh, but then it always allows for like refinement. And that's my main goal outside of detect and respond is to just make the burden or the responsibility of security easier on the rest of the company, meaning they shouldn't have to guess what we do when it comes to securing our customers' data. They should know, you know everyone in the company should be able to know exactly where to go to get all the artifacts they need, any white papers, any sales collateral, any SOC 2 reports or associations of compliance, and then make that portion easy such that people can self-serve with confidence. And then that enables us to then go deeper on more specific questions that our city or municipalities may have. So that's really is that lets me like focus on the, where the greatest impact can be. So like it's easy to say, well, improving our ability to detect and respond is always good, but then improving our sales cycle or our RP process or our our customer success teams, enabling them to better answer customer inquiries that they might get one off. There's definite dividends in that. So that's really been the main focus of this first year here at Passport. And I know one of the things that you said there, obviously, before about the fact that the road shows and building that kind of awareness in the business. What else have you been doing in the moment that you think really works, like that's really been getting buy-in to the security program? It's honestly going directly to the people who are dealing with the customers themselves and saying like, hey, I'm thinking about rolling this out or I'm thinking about doing this. Like, can I get your feedback? Would this be useful for your customers the people you talk to the, the, or the accounts that you manage, what's missing. Uh, and so it's kind of soliciting some of that feedback. Same thing with engineering. Like, do you want help or uh, oversight into, you know, how we should structure a cloud governance model? Like, what is the cloud governance model? And do you want help, like, programmatically checking these things? And it's really focusing on, like, how can I make another team's job simpler? So the part of what I've been focusing on is bringing in some automation for our cloud security or cloud infrastructure in general to like look for misconfigurations and look for just obvious kind of gaps that we can close and being able to then go have broader like architectural conversations with our product and engineering teams and say, okay, I've noticed commonality across our different environments or our different product sets. Can we talk about what that is and why it might be a risk and what we could do to minimize it? So it's kind of being able to, under the guise of like, Let's just make it as compliance as simple as possible. And with that comes like some increased security as well. That seems to help people uh, be on board with that. Because if I could say, I can make the job easier when it comes to SOC 2, I don't have to ask you a million questions to pull a bunch of you know, random pieces of evidence. And we can just pull it automatically with, with a couple of systems. Wouldn't that be better for you if then you can actually do your day job as opposed to like the side job of security? It's, people seem to like that. <laughs> people yeah. seem to like doing that. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things, look, in my role, we have a compliance solution, but one of the things that we're always talking about is this reactive to proactive compliance. And everyone has been so stuck for so many years of like doing, actually, we're just going to be compliant. We're going to deal with PCI. We're going to be able to SOC 2, whatever other frameworks. And then the business are just fatigued by audits and the same questions. It's like, well, look, rationalize this. Like all these frameworks have the same 
base 35 controls, right? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. they're not, look, there's obviously more detailed in certain ones, but I mean, the governance, the change controls, they're all very, very similar in what they're asking. Mm-hmm. A lot of that you can automate now. Like there is tools and technologies out there where you can get that in near real time. You can be checking it and then you're not having to go, oh, can you check this configuration? Can you screenshot this? Can you send it to me? You really can add a lot of value by just taking that pain away. Because I think if you're not in that on a day-to-day basis and you're one of those developers or, or sysadmins, you can spend a lot of your time just answering audit requests. Yeah, yes. And uh, I did that for the, when I first joined Passport. I got dumped kind of immediately into our SOC 2 audit period. And we had done everything by like, you know, 100 line spreadsheets. And I was like, oh, dear God, like we just tag everybody and say, okay, there's 50 of you, like, all got to go do something separate and different. And, you know, some teams bore the brunt of that way worse than the others. And some of it was because like, hey, we thought this would work to pass and it, it worked last year. And so we did it again, uh, even if, you know, there probably wasn't the most efficient way to do it. So that's been a big push kind of like silently in the background helping these teams and transparently myself uh, to make this more efficient and then also bring uh, bring it up a level on security as well. I think the other thing is obviously it helped, like you say, the security going up. It sets like a ongoing compliance rather than this mindset of, and I'm not saying this organized did, but there's a lot of organizations who go, right, it's one month before the audit. Yeah. Panic. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get everyone in this room and we're not going to do any work for a whole month other than collect all the evidence we need. Yeah. It's like, in itself, like that's that's probably not the best thing because if you've had issues and you've left it for nine months, like ten months, you want to be knowing that throughout the year. And I think it really does help moving to compliance, adding value to the business rather than just being there as like, look, it's something we do just to win more business. Exactly, and that's that's the exact approach I took to to this. I'm like, this is going to be the way we're going to at least get some leverage in this like federated team. Fantastic. Well, look, it's great to hear that. <laughs> like somebody yeah. literally is living, is always going on about this. It's great to hear someone's actually implementing and moving to that stage. So what are the biggest challenges you're having? What are the things that you're struggling with in your business? A lot of our bids are RFP driven, so request for proposal, uh, because we have to bid for these public instances for cities and municipalities. So they all say something similar but they all worded very differently. So there is challenges in how do you normalize that, knowing that cities have their unique model and they only accept their version of what you submit. And you know, looking at that and saying, how do I streamline this to minimize the pain on the company itself and our effort required to respond to each thing? I think that's a challenge. And then how do we move up beyond, you know, hey, we've been good enough with compliance for so long. Why do we need to do more? And uh, how much effort do we really need to put into making this broader security program when we've already passed PCI compliance and SOC 2 compliance? And so there, there's a bit of that kind of going back and forth. And it's healthy challenges. I think it's good because I, you know, I never want to do security for the sake of security. You know, I think there has to be a risk-based reason for doing it, not just because it tick box on the NIST 853 standard. Most people can't work in those kinds of like esoteric environments where they're very strict and still have good business functionality and happy uh, end users and happy developers. So, which I, you know, I fully realize they drive most of the revenue for the company. So that's like you can't make that constituency mad. <laughs> you have yeah. to make it easy for them. Yeah, it's about making risk based approaches, right? You can't have like yeah. you go to them and you say you need to do this, and like, yeah, but 
actually we've done x y and z which is equally mm. as securing like, oh yeah that's fine then right it's just as saying yeah we accept this because we've done x y and z but it's like you can't just have this very black and white approach which is you're just going to do this because <laughs> yeah. otherwise they're just they're just going to work around it and ignore you and not be truthful and i think that in itself is a lot more dangerous it is and honestly a piece that i forgot to mention too around what's really good about uh, what I think is effective at other companies or uh, here as well, but it's focusing on the end user experience side of security. I think that is such an often missed piece, but it shouldn't be hard to do security. It shouldn't be hard to pick the secure path. It shouldn't be hard to do the secure way of operating. Uh, And if it is, it's the fault of the security team. Like You have to figure out a way to make the change management of that and adoption of that better. You have to figure out a way to make the rollout of it better and the actual user experience like uh, flow of it better. And then you'll get much better adoption and and people much more willing to help and accept those types of changes. So it's like, how do you feather that into a company that's already been down a path for so long without some foundational blocking and tackling? So that's the kind of unique challenges here. And one of the other things that's always interesting, and I don't know if you challenge on this, is hiring. I mean, what have you struggled for getting talent in? How what's been you kind of approach that over the last well year or so in this role? Yeah, no, it's definitely been a challenge, and I don't think I'm unique in that regard. And I think a lot of people have had challenges hiring in, in the cybersecurity field for a very long time. The Great Resignation and 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 the like of of COVID kind of really accelerated that. Where the demand for people uh, skyrocketed and also so did salaries, expectations, and budgets had to keep up. Then just the speed at which uh, companies have to react um, because you know, people uh, is for the longest time, especially during the pandemic, had their choice of who to go to. And if they didn't get a response back from a company in a day or two, there was already a few other companies ready to go for something just as good, if not better. So I think you know, I've seen challenges on that been trying to hire for a while through kind of various roles that kind of goes focusing on security engineering basics, cloud security basics, application security basics, uh, and, and being able to help that process. But ch- ch- it's really challenging to hire in the field in general, I would say. Yeah, I mean, we're a cybersecurity and like product business, but yeah, I mean, maintaining talent is like you say, salary expectation. Well, it's not expectations, it's what the market's paying, like it's just on through the roof in the last <laughs> 18 months and that look it obviously people are going to take advantage of that so i think it just makes like first of all there's not enough people <laughs> and yeah. there's ways to get people in but that's not going to fix it in the next <laughs> six months but it, it's kind of investing in i guess different people and different skill sets isn't it yeah i would definitely agree with that and the ability to get rid of some of those exclusionary things like you have to have a college degree or you have to have x certifications or you have to have two to three years of experience on an entry-level role in another field, it just makes it harder to hire people if we don't start as like other as companies start letting those things down. But I also think it's important too to, to kind of be aware of the of the fluid nature of cybersecurity professionals in general. I mean, it's been an amazing field for me personally since I've been in it. And part of which is because of the ability to move around to different companies in different industries. And so it's been something I think that we've kind of missed as an industry is not embracing that a bit more, much more like a consulting kind of company mindset, good process, good talent, onboarding programs, and being able to ramp people up to get the the kind of max value out of both sides. 
and then being able to repeat that again and again and again, as opposed to like clinging tightly to like, you know, the one person who can do it all, I think is missing. Yeah. I mean, look, again, like I'm from consulting background originally, and, and it's kind of just the thing, isn't it? You build the right process, the right framework for these people to come in, succeed. And as long as you're planning ahead and it makes sense for everyone, like people can come in and go and look, obviously they'll be missed. They've brought a mm-hmm. good skill set, but it's about having that, like you say, set up to bring someone else in and go, actually, I know what I need. I know what works. I know what successful looks like. And I, mm-hmm. It's making sure that, like you say, you're not tying yourself down to one person, but you have that, I guess, framework for success to keep bringing people in and, and bringing them through. Because otherwise, you're going to end up with, well, stagnant teams. I think it's good that you get changed because you get new yeah. ideas, new thoughts, and especially with security, there's so much to be learned from different industries and different uh, areas. I agree. And, you know, I've had success in other places too, and bringing in intern talents and then doing a buddy system with someone who's more senior, even if just by like a year or two to kind of help grow those people together. They, you know, they get a chance to direct someone else's work and someone else gets a chance to learn somebody who's just a few steps ahead of them and learn how to operate. But then also the cross sharing of ideas just keeps formulating better ideas. But a general rule I tell people, like when I, when I hire them is like, you know, we've got two years together and I'm going to make you either move up or move out. And like, this isn't like I'm forcing you out. I think it's like the goal is to make you better. The goal is to make you achieve what you want to achieve, whether it's here, whether it's on another team, whether it's another company, that doesn't really matter. It's that continual improvement process. And I think that that's what I'm drawn to. And that's what um, I try to instill in others as well. And seeing that precipitate on through uh, different levels is great. Yeah. I mean, I wholeheartedly agree. Like getting people in, you're both getting value from one another and obviously like they can progress if there's space or like you say, you've given, you've, you've got both of you what you need from that. <laughs> and then again, people can move on. So what are your biggest areas of concern for, I guess, the, the second half of this year and heading into next year? Uh, mostly it's around how do we manage the ever-growing nature of like application security side issues? Um, especially with the increase of supply chain security attacks, you know, there's unknown landmines that we can step on that we just don't even know yet. Like if there's another log4j or there's another like, you know, insider where that somebody changes some of the source code in a third-party library that we use in all of our products. Uh, So that's challenging because we don't know what we don't know. And with doing an audit and doing the look inside of your source code is always ugly. Uh, especially for uh, high growth companies, we've had like a couple different iterations of of our products, and so you can see the flavors of best practices, the flavors of architecture, and the flavors of development staff. Like as you look at those iterations, and so each of those are going to come with unknown number of of issues to fix. And I think part of it's like you know the job's never done. You've always got to keep refining and refactoring and getting better at the process. So it's like how do you how do you succinctly dig yourself out of the hole you don't even know how big it is yet while also introducing new good practices to make the hole less big in the future? I think that's definitely a challenge. Fantastic. So can you talk me through, like, I guess when you're hiring, what are the skills that you look for in an information security professional? Yeah, usually the skills I look for when hiring comes down to mostly around desire to find out why is to... They want to. They don't take things at face value. They want to go deeper on things, not necessarily obsess about it and find like the true root cause. But really, you want to know why things work the way they do. You want to know 
how you can not just fix a problem, but how do you stop the problem from ever occurring to begin with? And so like I use an example of a lot, like, you know, I don't, I don't want us to be super good at mopping the floor. I want us to be really good at turning the water off. So it's great that you can mop, you can mop a hundred miles an hour, but like if the water keeps coming, you're going to have to keep mopping and I don't want to mop anymore. And so like, that's, I want people to think that way when it comes to problem solving. It, it probably goes back to my um, engineering days where I wanted to be as lazy as possible and have as few people as possible talk to me. So like, how do I document this or make it such a way that you just go here and then I get to do what I want to do. And so, you know, I, I say that kind of like tongue in cheek, but like, that's, I want people to think that way. So it's, it can, it's simpler to, um, we can, we can solve the right problems the right way. And then overlaying the security mindset is like, that is easier to do. The hard part is like understanding the teaching and the, and the problem solving that, that way. Yeah, I, re- I really like that analogy. Like, rather than like, okay, there's a problem. Like, let's deal. Let's deal with the spill. It's like, actually, why is this a problem? Why does this keep happening? Let's go up further up the process and identify, like, actually, where this is coming from and how we can address it. Yeah, and I think that I think that's great. So, how are you measured? I mean, CISOs will always say there's lots of different ways. Like, how are you measured, and what does success look like in your role? Uh, well, so being new to the role, you know, it's uh, it, that passport, it's the measurement. It's not a moving target, but it, it really comes down to like, can I deliver on the things I said I was going to deliver on? And if uh, if those things I deliver on need to change, am I able to articulate why within budget, within or sometimes without outside of budget? And can I manage it like it's a real business unit myself? And so I think that's the way like my COO thinks. And like, hey, am I running this like it's a real business? And, and like, am I keeping my stakeholders up to date? Am I keeping everyone apprised of like how risk is changing and how uh, business uh, actions or or activities impact what we're doing? And, and it is, is it a two-way street of information? And am I able to systematically drive down risk and achieve like a longer term goal? So, you know, I, I set like a North Star out, you know, a couple of years out and say, hey, we're going to get ISO 27001 certified. And not because like that's the like holy grail, but it's, it, it is, it is a goal point. It is something that we can objectively say we do have or do not have. And it allows me a lot of flexibility underneath that to then design the program as it's needed to solve those components. A lot of which we're already doing, but it's about formalizing it and giving it a structure and saying like, I can systematically now tell you this is how the program works and why it works and why we've chosen this path. And this is the things that has been built along the way. So it's, it's really like, are you able to prove that? Like that's how I'm overall measured. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, like, like you say, like building like capabilities is great, but like, it's nice to say, actually we formalize this program. There is a certification. And again, that that's good for yourself. And obviously third parties love it. Like some of your customers and suppliers may ask you to do it, but it, it does give you that framework to manage security and go forward. So if you had one wish as a security professional to resolve, what would it be? Oh, man, this is an interesting one. I would probably say uh, no more questionnaires from your customers. I would much rather just give you an API and say, like, just measure me this way. And if I'm bad, well, then I'll fix it. Um, if I'm good, then all right, give me the green. <laughs> if I could just give you one API endpoint uh, and you never ask me a question again, I'd be really happy. Yeah. As a product business as well, I can definitely attest that like answering RFPs and the amount of questions that 
are almost the same. Yes. <laughs> it's the almost the same that kills you, isn't it? It's like, ah, this is this is nearly this, but I'm going to have to slightly change this wording. But yeah, that's definitely something that, <laughs> that I would love to get rid of as well, or at least make it so, easier to monitor so we don't have to do it. So we're nearly finished now. One of the things that we always ask is, what other security leaders or people would you like to hear from? So is there someone you would like to recommend for us to talk to and get on this podcast? Uh, yeah, I think uh, a good person to have be uh, Benjamin Coral. He's uh, the CISO at uh, Coats, actually a, a UK-based uh, textile manufacturing company. And um, we've connected throughout the years at different conferences. Uh, he's just got a really cool way of uh, approaching a very old industry. So I think that alone is a pretty unique story. And plus, he's just really a positive guy and as is good at storytelling so i think uh you guys would like it fantastic so thanks mike we really do appreciate your time can you let our listeners know where they can hear more from you so be that be linkedin or anything that yeah linkedin is always great uh also twitter is also um, pretty active on there as well and on my uh, blog uh, return on security.com is where i do a lot of other writing about security and it's where i also do my newsletter and and the like Fantastic. So we'll add those uh, links in the bio so you can contact Mike directly. Really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for your time.